Hey guys, this is Nishant and welcome to another episode of the Nishant Dyak Show. I'm super excited to announce that the Rite of Passage retreat is publicly launched this week. If you did listen to the last three episodes, you would know that what I'm talking about, I'm talking about my new project, Rite of Passage retreat. And if you did not listen to the last three episodes, then you will get an idea of what I'm talking about. So the Rite of Passage retreat is an immersive two-day retreat that aims to guide participants from living off the stresses of their mind into thriving from their soul. This retreat is scheduled from December 8th to 10th in Austin, Texas. This retreat is designed to help introverts and people from all walks of life connect to their emotional and mental well-being so that they can show up fully with courage, own their voice, and stand for their truth confidently in the face of challenges. Just imagine embracing your imperfections as strengths, unleashing your authentic expression, cultivating your inner radiance, emancipating yourself from external distractions, and nurturing unconditional self-love. And this retreat may be right for you if you feel stuck or unfulfilled in your love life, career, relationships, inner connection, health, or all of the above. You are tired of seeking external validation. You are frustrated by a lack of partnership. Your inner critique often dominates your thoughts. You struggle with work-life balance, and despite your success, you feel a sense of emptiness. This retreat promises to be a total immersion experience that will help participants feel more connected to themselves, others, and the pulse of life. This retreat is an event of death and rebirth, a sacred journey to let your dust and darkness wash over you. The registration link for this retreat is in the episode description. And today's episode guest is Dr. Gail Brenner. She is coming on the podcast second time and she was on this podcast in 2022 and on that episode we talked about the end of self-help, conscious life and embodied living. Suffering is optional. I wanted to have her on the podcast again so that we can go deeper in this in these topics. So first of all, who is Gail Brenner? Dr. Gail is a psychologist, author, speaker and lover of truth with a fire that burns brightly. She's an expert in healing from early trauma and brings years of experience with individuals and groups. Her work lovingly illuminates our everyday humanness with the deepest spiritual truth and she is known for creating the safe space needed for inner exploration. She has special expertise working with older adults and their families in the transitions of aging, death and dying. She was an assistant clinical professor at the University of California, San Francisco, where she trained physicians and maintained a clinical practice. She has published numerous professional articles on coping with stress and chronic medical illness, and she is the author of the award-winning book, The End of Self-Help and Suffering is Optional. She loves healthy living and exploring different cultures through international volunteering. In this episode, you will learn how to live fully, how to open to everything and attach to nothing, and how do we go beyond our life's stories, our mind's stories, and how to strive for infinite abundance and fulfillment. So please 
enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Dr. Gail. Dr. Gail, welcome to the show. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Well, you, I think you are the the guest who have been on the podcast before. This is the part two of our last episode. And uh, I have had almost 248, 249 episodes as of right now. And our last episode with you has been ranking as number two so far. Oh. Ranked as number two. And I was wondering what is that? What maybe the title is catchy. What is that that people are more inclined to that episode and the episode title was suffering is optional empty of the exhausting story of me the end of self-help conscious life and embodied living so so many big words and when i was going through the transcript of the last episode i realized that we covered so many different topics and we touched different areas so maybe this is an opportunity for us to go deeper into few topics. Somebody might ask, suffering is optional. What does that mean? Be empty of the exhausting story. What does that even mean? And in the last conversation, if people want to go back and listen to that, we covered what does it mean to have healthy relationships, attachment theories, trauma, healing, and how to create a safe container within a therapy practice, how to listen to your instinct, how to own your truth. We covered so many different areas. So the last episode went live in February of 2022. It's been one and a half years. So I'm curious, I thought the, the right place to start would be what, what has changed in your personal life over the past one to two years, Dr. Gail, if you don't mind sharing. In my personal life... In the past one and a half years, not a whole lot, actually. My schedule is pretty much the same. Things are, yeah, I think what has deepened, though, and changed is a little bit in the teaching that I offer, and that always corresponds to what's happening within, not so much in my personal life in the sense of this is happening or that's happening, but it's really in how I relate to what's happening and what's a growing edge. I've been liking that term, like what's a growing edge uh, for me that I'm learning about and exploring and how I can bring that to other people. And one of the growing edges for me definitely is has to do with compassion, not only for myself, but for other people in the sense of really, and I know this, I don't mean this to sound trite, that everyone is doing their best. Like I really got to have gotten to a point where I, I get at a deep level in myself that no matter what people are doing, and sometimes people do things that, and say things that are pretty challenging, that, and we might react or blame or, you know, want that to be different in some way. And the resistance within myself is really falling away about that because I really get that what everybody does, they're doing the best they can in the moment. It may not be the ideal thing or the loving thing or the thing that's needed, but they're doing what they can do. And that kind of acceptance, like it's like a deep kind of acceptance, like, okay, this is what it is. 
it's just made me relax and have a lot more compassion for other people and, and what's behind what they do. How do you practice that in the regular day-to-day life? Because practicing compassion and mindfulness, they are very jargons. You know, how do we really practice, you know, practicing these things in these smaller triggers may be easy when there is a big catastrophe, when there's a big trigger. How do we really sit with those feelings and practice? And I ask that because sitting with the feelings has been a big part of my life over the past one year when there is no exit, when there is no escape. As Pema Chodron, the author of When Things Fall Apart, says that closing all the exits, no escape. When, When we don't escape from the resistance, how do we practice to stay with that resistance to stay with the trigger how do we find compassion <laughs> for ourselves and for others could you elaborate on that i mean it's a challenge you know what you bring up is a challenge i'm sure lots of people feel i used to feel that and that's been an edge for me to work on and inquire about within myself i think it starts with the willingness you know, when, when you, you point to the, what Pima Chodron talks about in terms of no exits, you have to, to even go there. You have to want that, you know, that we can always avoid. That's always an option. When it comes to feelings, we can suppress them or push them away or avoid them or go into our heads. I mean, there's lots of things we do to avoid feelings. And, and it's kind of revolutionary, actually, to say, I don't want to do that in, anymore in the name of my own healing, in the name of the potential for awakening, in the name of just being present with what is, I'm going to be with it no matter what. And that's, that's, it starts there with that desire, that willingness in our own hearts and minds and being that this, we finally get, this is the way to find healing and sanity in our lives. And when we have that willingness, it becomes a whole lot easier. Not that it's, we encounter easy feelings, because when we really stop and let ourselves go in and, and turn the um, mirror of our attention inward to our own experience to really see like what feelings are there, it's it we may find things that aren't very pleasant that are challenging that are you know maybe even overwhelming at times and the way to do it is to do it to slow everything down to get out of our heads if we're in our heads thinking 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 we're not going to be able to actually feel the feeling and it's about turning our attention inward and i'm kind of pointing toward my heart because feelings all have a physical component like we feel them in the body we have a story about them they they like encompass a lot of our experience when we're in the middle of a feeling and we get curious about it rather than oh no i hate this and how can i make this go away and i'm just going to pick up a substance or my phone or whatever to avoid the feeling we go okay i'm just going to stop and i'm going to go in and I'm going to just see what's here. And that's the beginning of a beautiful exploration that um, leads to, in my experience of myself and working with lots of people, a tremendous amount of healing. The, the healing of early trauma and 
you know, whatever the challenges are that we're dealing with, it, it, it can't happen unless we meet our feelings. I know you have been a clinical psychologist for many, many decades. So when did you personally start to feel the feelings? And this has been a favorite topic to really feel the feelings because the mind can get in the stories. Mind creates stories and mind can get in the way to protect ourselves, to feel the feelings and heart can put labels. Okay, this feeling is bad or sad or disappointed. And the feeling is just raw, just an energy. So I'm curious, so when in your personal life did you start to practice this skill set of feeling the feelings? And it is like a muscle. The more we train this muscle, the more we get better. The, the When we start practicing this muscle, it doesn't grow. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I can say when, because it's been a process over a long period of time. I did become a clinical psychologist in my 20s, and I guess like toward the end of my 20s. And But at the same time, I was very much dealing with my own healing. I had a lot of work to do, even though I was out there helping other people. And, you know, I learned how to do that. And uh, that's developed a whole lot over the years. But I was dealing with my own confusion, not knowing what to do with my own feelings, challenges in relationships. I mean, I had a lot of challenges in, in life back then. And like when it was a process of understanding at some point that I didn't have the skills that I needed to be able to live with and learn from the feelings that I was having. And there were a few different insights along the way. Like I remember in my very early 40s, and I was doing some uh, long meditation retreats. And by long, I mean 10 days or two weeks. And these were silent meditation retreats. And, you know, when you have that much silence, you get to really reflect on what's happening in your inner life. And I saw all kinds of feelings that I didn't even know were there. So that field of silence and, the, and that time period of, of all that silence enabled me to really see the feelings that were there that I didn't even know were there before. So I hadn't really looked deeply and turned inward to see them. And once I saw how many feelings were, were there and how much negativity there was in my mind, that, that really set me on a path to figure all this out. Because regular therapy, I had a lot of it and it didn't really do anything for me. It wasn't until I started reflecting inward and seeing what was actually happening in here that things started really changing for me. What do you mean by regular therapy? Just like once a week or whatever, going and talking about talking about your feelings, talking about your past, the stories of it. For, for the as much as I can understand about what happened back then, it was all in the stories and and none of the results were embodied for me. Like I talked about things for years, but it didn't really affect how I actually felt and dealt with things until I went directly into the experience of the feelings and learned learned what to do with them. Love that. Do you, do you feel that we humans go through this phase when we start our healing, when we start our personal development work, we are 
too much in our head we are too much in our stories and we go through talk therapy we go through different kinds of therapy i have been doing therapy coaching for last few years and uh, i have different kinds of guides therapists and coaches when we start the session they say that i am in my head because i'm i'm i'm, I'm really good at creating stories and i'm really good at buying my therapist into my own stories like i can convince my therapist into my own stories so the therapist has to be very skilled so i'm working with few folks they can do the pattern interrupt and they tell me that i'm doing the mental gymnastic so they help me to get the the embodied feeling to go into the different parts of my body and and it's been it's because it has become it's it has become much better now that i can tune into that and for me now when i feel into that it comes through yawning i yawn a lot when i'm truly tuning into that energy and i was reading about it when yawning could be a sign of tired and yawning is when your crown chakra and your root chakra i think when those energy centers are aligned so so dr gail i'm curious you when you have clients how do you teach or coach your clients to feel into the feelings and not get into the mental gymnastic yeah it's it's a great question and i'm glad to hear that you found some practitioners who uh really understand that and are helping you to be embodied honestly yep. embodied i mean in your body because in people who are in their heads it just feels like you're all head and then like I'll, I'll invite someone to to pay attention to their body it's like what body like i don't know how to do that yes. so it's good to have that skill of being able to recognize that there's stuff happening in the body and to pay attention to that so i do want to say i i didn't have a very helpful experience in therapy but i think therapy has changed a lot since i was in therapy back you know however many years ago and i think it's more in the moment based and more informed by trauma which i think is really important which i think we'll probably talk about so i think therapy has developed in a way that it can be very helpful with people and for people and i so you know hopefully my experience with that was unique but i think you know i do work with people and actually right now i'm doing mostly group work which i love and not a therapy group necessarily but a like a, a a field of people together who create a safe space to do this deep inner work because we need safety for it so i can answer your question and i will in a second about how do you go yes. into the feelings but you need to have safety you need to feel a sense of safety in order to do that because when you're going into feelings you're probably going into some pattern that was established early on in life if we have feelings that are challenging or difficult like we get angry or we're scared and and we're very limited in our lives these are these are very can be strong feelings that really affect our lives and if they're if it's that kind of pattern that we're dealing with it probably comes from uh, something that happened early on in life in the context of relationship with our caregivers so it it's and it's tender and sensitive and and these feelings go underground and we push them away for a reason 
because when we're young, we don't have a safe space to feel them and digest them and learn how to cope with them. So we have to do something to survive and we often push them away. So when we're here as adults and we're interested in, in personal growth or a spiritual path or whatever, then we have to have the safe space to be able to bring those tender parts of ourselves out into the open so that we can see them and feel them and welcome them into the whole of who we are so we don't have to separate them anymore. I have never been part of a group coaching or group therapy, but I've been part of a mastermind group, which is different than a group therapy. So what does the container, group container, look like or feel like? Would you mind giving us a demonstration of that? <laughs> yeah, I, I do a group every week and I had it this morning. So I'll, it's very fresh for me. It's just a lovely group of people. It's open for everybody who's who's interested in this work. And and by this work, I mean deep healing of trauma from the past and patterns that we carry from the past into the present. And also people who are interested in being alive in present moment experience in our life, to have our life as a human be as full as it can be so that we don't have barriers to expressing our humanness. We have the free flow of energy and life to be able to live to our fullest. And that's our birthright. You know, that's how we're meant to be. We don't always live that way because things get in the way of that. So it's a group of people who are interested in that. And, and I always have a topic that I talk about and a guided meditation. So it's all about tuning in to our direct experience inside so that we know what's happening. And then it's hard to even describe it. There, we do Q&A and people share and it's beautiful and tender and there's vulnerability because people feel very safe and people learn from each other. I think that's really an important piece of it. And, you know, these challenges around feelings that developed early on in life, they developed in the context of a relationship, say a relationship with parents. Again, they're doing their best, but might not do what we need. So the healing has to come in the context of relationship. And it can certainly come in a one-on-one -on -one therapy or coaching situation, but it's just how I'm drawn recently. I find these groups to be incredibly valuable when people share and they can they feel not alone because I think part of trauma and not knowing what to do with feelings and having strong feelings we feel very alone with that and even shame around that that we just don't know what to do or there's something inherently wrong with us and a group provides that like you're not a, that feeling of you're not alone and you, you, whatever you are is welcomed here. And I think people benefit greatly from that deep feeling of safety being held by, you know, 30 or 50 or whatever it is, other people. Absolutely. And doing one-on-one -on -one coaching or therapy is beneficial. And when we are expressing our vulnerability in a group, that requires a lot of courage to allow ourselves to be seen with one-on-one -on -one practitioner these stakes are not high and if there is a bigger trauma there is a 
bigger sexual or physical trauma that person may not be able to open up in front of a group and the benefit of working in a group setting is belonging my yes. my personal theme has been belonging finding groups and people where i feel belong <laughs> and for that i get to find some level of belonging within myself so that i can feel belong in a group setting that's exactly it it starts here with ourselves because loneliness is rampant in our culture these days i hear it all the time and um it's in to to find these groups that feel like our tribe or like we're comfortable or we belong like you said that sense of belonging is so essential to our humanness and our to be able to thrive in our lives to feel like somebody has our back or some group has our back and like we can go there and just like let down our guard it's so relieving and i think very healthy for people to have those kinds of relationships and feel validated by different people and be seen by different people exactly exactly and being seen is the is the source of it like i know in my own triggering pretty much across the board whenever i'm triggered by a situation or a person and i've learned this because i know what my own wounding is it's about not being seen so the medicine of being seen like really seen seen in our vulnerability and our shame and you know all the things that are challenging and to be willing to be seen with with the whole thing the whole of who we are it's very healing yeah yeah what do you what do you, i'm curious what do you do personally when you get triggered because when i get triggered and there's a, there is a big trigger it's it is really hard to sit and feel the feelings because the mind is jumping so fast to come to a conclusion my default is blaming <laughs> blaming others it's hard and i i practice because my mind works to create drawings and diagrams to know okay what are the next steps and and reminding myself that just focusing on the next step just the next step is hard because mind wants to know all the different steps and reminding myself that everything passes nothing is stays forever and as rumi said jalaluddin rumi the poet everything every i think i'm i'm going to paraphrase everything is welcome in the guest house everything is welcome something in that do you remember that this human is a guest house yes 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 everything that comes to the door be i forget the words also but be a friendly welcoming host to whatever shows up at your door so when you get triggered do you meditate do you go for a walk what's your personal practice look like so i'll answer that directly but what i want to say first is that i've developed what i would call a lifestyle of all kinds of practices that i don't even call practices anymore because they're just how i live So I I the triggering has really decreased a lot. So I don't I don't get that so much anymore, but when I do get triggered, I recognize it pretty quickly and you know, I just I know what it is. I know that maybe I haven't been seen or I feel unseen, so I'll go to a young part of myself inside and I'll just kind of 
hold her, give her a lot of love in that moment. If I think that's what's going on, I make amends. If I somehow hurt someone else, that feels like an important part of it for me. And like the personal practices that I do, I might do deep breathing, but I do that as a practice a lot, not just, and this is what I recommend for people that it's not just when you're triggered, it's about a lifestyle of being aware and awake and present for our lives. And to do that, we need to slow down. So if we're running at warp speed ahead of ourselves, always pushing for the next thing, the next thing, we're, we're, we're in our heads and we're out in front of us. We're not actually grounded in ourselves. So to slow things down and maybe even, I know this might sound revolutionary, have less to do in life, you know, so that we have the time and the space and we give ourselves that time and space to be present and grounded in our lives. And it doesn't necessarily take a lot of time, but if whatever we're doing and busy with and involved with is very demanding, it, it can take us away from our groundedness. And that doesn't serve our peace and happiness, and it sets us up for, for being triggered. So slowing things down, and then there are a million different tools. It just depends on what works for people. A practice of deep breathing, because conscious breathing with a longer exhale, so an inhale and then a longer exhale, it activates the parasympathetic nervous system, so it, it calms the body. So when we're triggered, one of the parts of triggering is the body is activated. And if we're anxious or afraid or angry or even sad, there are certain, there's certain kind of grieving, there's certain kind of activation in the body that goes with that. So it really helps to have body-based practices, maybe a, a mindful movement practice, you know, yoga. Yoga's fine, but it, there are deeper things that you can do, you know, to be very you know, very mindful of, of your own experience and with yourself so that things can stay regulated and calm inside. Definitely like being out in nature, whatever. I, I encourage people and I love myself to just enjoy life. Like it's okay to figure out like what are the things you enjoy and what gives you a feeling of enjoyment and do that. Like, don't always focus on fixing the problems, but to just notice that your life is here right now in this moment and you can just be here fully living it. <laughs> people listening to this, people who listen to this podcast, they are 100% sure or not 100% to highest degree of confidence that they know all these practices. And I will say, I know all these practices and I will say that. The real challenge is to be mindful and having a reminder when we are in that challenging situation. We all forget. We all need constant reminders. I know when we all forget. We all forget. And personally, I know when I'm fast pacing, but I'm aware that I'm fast pacing. And I get to slow, having an awareness that we are running so fast, it's time to slow down. Yes, there are times when life demands the fast pace. For example, I'm I'm launching a retreat in December, December 8th to 10th, and yesterday was the finalization of the launch details. So I slept for five hours, four hours. But the 
the excitement of getting something done and i'm feeling very rejuvenated today after four or five hours of sleep and so it is okay but if that sleep schedule keeps happening every day i'll become a zombie because i know my sleep is very important yes occasionally life allows us to to swing between different ends of a pendulum and also that's an expression of your passion to create this retreat so it's enlivening you know for you it's enlivening and it's scary <laughs> scary as well so so walking in nature breathing they all our lifestyle practices when we are having a great day we can remind ourselves and when we are not having a an amazing day then reminding ourselves to really slow down and to listen to music and i've been practicing yoga for last few months yoga is good but yoga can get into your body as well depending on different kinds of yoga such as vinyasa yin or slow moving yoga so i i love that dr gill you mentioned about the lifestyle practice because it's, it can be said that the end of self help the end of personal development because i don't use that word self help or personal development anymore and because i believe that this is lifestyle this is a lifestyle mm-hmm. you eat you take a shower you brush your teeth it's like reading books talking to amazing people on this podcast doing this work this is this is a lifestyle so and you have a book the whole book on the end of self help can we touch on that can can you talk more about that like like we are not trying to fix anything in ourselves we are already whole then why do we need all these practices why do we need to listen to a podcast why do we need why do we need to read a book can we please explore on that yeah so the the end the title the end of self help means that or the the reason i chose it it means that there's no self to help so it's a it's an it's a pointer to a question who am i you know which is an essential spiritual question like how do i identify myself and if we identify with our stories as you were match, um, uh, mentioning before or some way that someone treated us when we were young or some thought that says i'm inadequate and not good enough and i'm going to fail if that's how we're defining ourselves first of all we're missing the truth of who we actually are because these self definitions aren't true they were somehow inserted or they became a habit habitual way of thinking about ourselves but we existed prior to all of that and we existed in our fullness and and huge potential and then you know we have experiences in life that can unfortunately shut us down or make us feel like we need to please everybody in order to feel okay about ourselves or we get scared of the world and we withdraw and we limit ourselves and these are identities these are ways that we think about ourselves but they're they're not actually true they're habits they're not real they're just habits habitual ways of thinking and so the end of self help means there's no actual self we don't help that self that's based on something that's not actually true 
that we go deeper and we realize, oh, that way that I'm thinking about is not actually true. And when I don't give any interest to the thought, I'm inadequate or I'm not good enough, or, you know, that would be an example. When I, when I don't define myself by that, who am I? And over time, what we notice is there can be a tremendous amount of freedom and energy and potential that we discover when we don't define ourselves by these limited ways of thinking. How do you answer to who am I? Because isn't it a gigantic question, who am I? Yes, it is. And I think part of the path around that question is the, is not necessarily the answer, but the path itself. Because even to ask that question invites us to question what we think we are. So if you say, okay, I'm a, you know, I'm a guy who's, you know, has a certain interest in creating a business or whatever, and has certain qualities and ways of being in relationships. And like, is that true? Is that who you are? You know, especially when we suffer, you know, if we're, if we're flowing along in life and there's happiness and fulfillment, there's no problem. But <laughs> nobody talks about who am I when life is going great. Exactly. Exactly. But when we feel like we're failing or like we just don't trust ourselves to, to reach out and follow our dreams, that there's something there to be explored because we're identifying ourselves as someone who's not good enough and going to fail. And that needs to be questioned because it's not true. It's just an idea that we've developed in the mind, a story. This goes to what you were mentioning before, the exhausting story of me. These limiting stories are exhausting and they're unfulfilling and they don't bring us the peace and happiness that we really long for and want. And so the invitation is to investigate those stories and challenge them and ask if that's, is that really who I am? Am I really supposed to have this life that's limited and fear-based and, you know, where I'm afraid to do anything or afraid to get out of my comfort zone? Is that really the life that I'm supposed to have? And the answer to that is no, there's something beyond that that's not limited and that's not defined by those limiting thoughts about ourselves. And, and I'm wondering who asked this question, who am I? Is it the mind who is asking? Because mind doesn't know anything about feelings. Mind can manufacture feelings. Who is asking that? Right. What part of us is asking that? Mm -hmm. Who am I or who I'm becoming in? And you said that beautifully, the path as the path in front of us unfolds. I think Buddhist, Buddhist teachings say that like path is the goal. I think along something in that. Path is the goal or the way I've heard it, which I really like is the pathless path. It's not a path that's going somewhere to become something that you're not already. It's a path inward back to yourself to discover who you actually are that you've just overlooked. So it's a different way. We, we don't come from a place of inadequacy or lack that who I am is not good enough. So I have to fix that and find something better. 
No, we go in and investigate that belief that we're not good enough. And when we take the belief away, because a belief is mind-based, it's just a story. If we don't have that story, then what's left and what's what we can find eventually is that there's a tremendous amount of freedom possible that's, that might be untapped because we're buying into those layers and veils that cover us, that cover the, the truth and the potential of who we are. Yeah, and not believing in those stories. And we can practice that. Okay, my mind is telling me all these stories and my heart is telling me all these things, then what is true? How do I know what is true? And getting perspective from the people in our lives. Okay, what I'm thinking, is that true? Is that necess- Is that absolutely true? Yeah. And we can start with what's not true. So, you know, am I this inadequate person who's never going to succeed in life? You know, let's just pretend or imagine that that's not true, then where does that leave you? So Hmm. the the beliefs that we hold about ourselves, we can think of those, we can kind of approach those as, okay, if it's not making me happy, because our birthright is happiness and peace. And, you know, not that we're happy all the time because challenging things happen in life, that's normal, but there a deep sense of uncaused peace and relaxation and trust in life you know that's our that's our true nature that's our that's what's naturally here in who we are and if there's anything other than that then there's something there to be explored because we Hmm. have the right to live as not according to what our mind tells us that we are or what other people tell us we are but according to the the natural brilliance that's there shining in all of us. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm curious, Dr. Gail, you have worked with so many people. So what common limiting beliefs you have seen people saying all the time? What common stories they tell themselves? Do you, can you recall? The The most common one is I'm not good enough or I'm inadequate. And in fact, the the third book I wrote is called Suffering is Optional. And it's about that identity of being inadequate or unworthy or not good enough. And, And I wrote that book because it's so rampant in our culture to not feel good enough. And, and it has so many profound effects on our lives. When, like when we start with the belief, I'm not good enough, we're going to choose people to be in relationship that support that belief. So we're going to choose somebody who's not right for us because, you know, we're not good enough to have somebody wonderful and amazing who treats us with a great deal of kindness. So holding a belief like I'm not good enough or I'm worthy, I'm unworthy. And for some people, you know, the inner, the language of the inner critic, you know, we put ourselves down, we tell ourselves only what's wrong with us. It can be very harsh for some people. And that I think is the most common limiting belief. And it's common and it has far reaching effects on our lives. Yes. And I think the belief I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy can shape in different areas of our lives. In my case, I was always very driven. 
very goals driven very achieve achievement oriented i never had this belief i'm not good enough in my career or in the business context but i struggled with that belief in my personal life in the personal relationship i think so when we say that this belief may we we may not have that belief in one area but we may have that belief of i'm not good enough i'm not worthy in different areas of our lives it's not that sure. this could be the the universal truth is that true yeah. Yeah, that can totally happen. Yes. So you, you know, you feel, you know, flowy, let's say, you feel confident, you feel like you can do things in your professional life and you don't feel limited there is what I'm hearing. Yes. But when it comes to personal relationships, something else happens. Oh well, yeah, entire my entire life I had to that's my that that opened the path for me to really come to worthiness in my personal life and to myself <laughs> your personal self you know finding that worthiness to yourself and worthiness it's cliche to say that and 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 as i say that who says it is cliche mind because mind needs novelty mind wants to have unique things all the time yeah. and the life is in the simplicity being in the, the everything is happening in the simple things in life right worthiness is doesn't have any condition we are worthy period yes that's right yeah and mind you know it feels like a bit of a put down to call it even to call it a cliche it's like oh you know you're you're good enough don't you know and i it we we're so quick to this goes back circles back to compassion that we started with that so what is it to be compassionate with ourselves and it's to be kind you know that's another word for it it's just kindness you know and we if we haven't been treated kindly when we're young we won't choose kindness because it becomes familiar to not be in a kind relationship or a kind environment so we go with it doesn't really make logical sense it sort of does but we go with what we're familiar with not with what's going to support our highest truth about ourselves so if we are used to not having a being in a kind environment or having others treat us with kindness or we don't learn to treat ourselves with kindness we're going to pick challenging relationships for ourselves because that's what's familiar so it's a process to untangle all of that and you know we really need to slow down i had my own patterns around relationship that are still healing but they're healing where i had to really slow it down like when i was you know a friend or a potential partner or whatever you know i had to really take my time like is this okay because i i had the tendency to go into situations that were not supportive of me and i didn't want to do that anymore so to to really do something different than that very long standing pattern took took a lot and i want to say it still takes a lot i still work with it can i can I, if, if you don't mind can i ask you about one of those patterns because the the relationship aspect is i'm very fascinated by love relationship topics of sex because that's the most vulnerable side of ourselves and that's where we human beings struggle a lot because we see our mirror 
So would you mind talking about one of your patterns, if that is okay with you? Yeah. So there's, you know, many of your listeners might have heard about attachment styles. And what that means is there are ways that we've learned to connect with others. And secure attachment is a healthy way. There's trust there. We can relax in the context of relationship. And we trust ourselves and the other person. That's secure attachment. But there's also anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. And these are patterns that develop when we're young. Anxious attachment being more neediness, like one, you know, needing to get something from the other so that we can feel okay about ourselves. So if I'm loved enough, then I will feel okay within myself. It doesn't work because it's putting way too much pressure on someone else to, you know, give us that love that we missed somehow. So we, the medicine for that is we need to learn to do that for ourselves. The other style is, and there are, you know, variations on these, is where we, these are people who don't engage. And I I think the dating apps are filled with people with avoidant attachment (laughs) styles. They kind of want a, a relationship, but when it really comes right down to being vulnerable, as you said, there's, there's tremendous amount of fear and then there's avoidance and avoidant people don't treat their partner eventually with a lot of kindness. I mean, they might be basically kind people, but when that avoidant attachment style is, is active, they're going to be scared and they're going to pull away. Right. They so you might get avoidant behavior. people with avoidant attachment. It's not that they're bad. They just, they, they're bringing the, the family dynamics they were raised in. And we can always rewire those patterns to become more secure. And I believe that we all have different kind, all different variations of attachments. Yeah. So yeah, and the same is true of, of anxious attachment, and they tend to to come together because anxious people with anxious attachment trying to connect, trying to connect. That's what they learned in childhood to try to connect with somebody who's not available for connection, and so that it's like a lock and key that avoidant attachment and um, anxious attachment style. Right, and one of the frameworks that I've been contemplating these days is. Intention is one thing, you know, intention in your dating, intention in your relationship, intention in the professional life. And then what comes after intention? The investment. When we date someone who is an avoidant, the avoidant person may have the right intention, but are they showing up? Are they putting in the right amount of investment, time, effort, and energy? I used to be very big, anxious, attached person. I've done a lot of work around that. So my anxious pattern kicks in, but I'm aware when it kicks in. So I'm aware that if I'm dating someone who is avoidant, that's not going to work. So being able to regulate yourself and communicate your needs. So you mentioned about neediness. So I hear the word neediness all the time. So I think, do you think there is a difference between having needs, like healthy needs and neediness? Could you elaborate on that? Yeah. So a healthy need might be to be related to with kindness. You know, it's a, it's a, just a given in a relationship where we need that. And if we're not being treated kindly, it's not the right relationship. Yes, there are healthy needs. And then the neediness that I'm referring to 
comes from like this empty bucket, this bucket with a hole in it inside that no matter how much love and care and attention and approval you get, it's never enough, never enough. So that's an indication that there's some kind of early pattern that's developed that needs attention and care and love for healing. Yes, and I'm thinking about the topic of conscious life and embodied living. We can tune into the feelings, we can tune into the energies, we can have a secure attachment, we can understand all these things from the mind. We can read books. I don't read tons of books anymore. I would read two, three, five, few books and just keep reading the same book again and again unless until I truly embody that. So what does that embodiment practice look like? Because from the mind, we can understand something. But how do we... Looks like just what you were saying, you know, about relationship. When you recognize that there's something that doesn't feel good to you, and then you you went and to recognize that you have to feel something inside, like this doesn't feel good to me right now. This whatever is happening in this moment, and and the embodiment of that is to recognize that, and then the courage is to to express your feelings about it not as a demand or trying to get something from someone but as a an honest and vulnerable expression of your your experience whatever that might be whatever feeling might be arising in you so the embodiment comes from attunement that's a word i like like our inner attunement so we know what's happening in ourselves and you know, we can practice that and we can get really good at it so that we know like, oh, I don't feel good. Something just happened and I feel off or I feel a little anxiety or I just felt a surge of anger. Like to to be able to recognize those changes inside and have compassion for them, first of all, and then say, okay, well, what needs to happen in this situation? You know, do I need to say something about it? Do I need to leave? Do I need to explore more within myself before I do anything? So it's that living, that constant like navigating of things that happen in life and how we're how we're gonna how we're gonna navigate them. Yes, and which is hard. Beautiful, alive way of living. You know, I can tell you, I live with other people in a group situation, and I purposely moved to this situation because I wanted these experiences of lear- of getting triggered in all these relationships and then figuring it out, like learning how to be with all different kinds of people, with how I felt, with how I, with my needs, navigating my own needs. And it's just been a I purposely put myself in that position and it's been this wonderful, amazing learning experience. What what else have you learned personally in this experience of living with other people? Uh, One thing I learn is, and this is a big one actually, is don't do or say anything until I get clear inside. So if I'm triggered by something that someone does, you know, in the kitchen or whatever, you know, these are mundane things for the most part, I, okay, I go, okay, I'm triggered. You know, I, I don't, I, I've slowed things 
down enough that I'm not on a hair trigger. I'm not going to blurt something out. Like I used to do that, but I got to the, I've gotten to the point where I'm not going to just blurt something out. I just uh, realize that I'm triggered. Okay. So I go off by myself and I take time. I might meditate just to go in, get quiet time. I love quiet time, a lot of quiet time. And just to, because it helps me to know like what's actually happening in here. That's one reason I like it. Another reason is I just enjoy the presence of, of the silence. But I will just really deeply know what's triggered in me and how I feel. And I must say, I don't know, 85% of the time, just that is enough. And I, I realize why the other person did what they did and I have compassion for them and I bring compassion to myself. And there's also a lot of like the baseline of love in our home. So there's a lot of deep caring. So I connect with that and 5% of the time, at least I don't even say anything. Yeah. This is, I think this is a process and this process could look like different for each person. And I'm a big believer in the same process you're describing. And when I'm triggered, I need to understand myself what is going on. So I, I journal the same thing so, so many times over the few days or over the few, next few hours, journaling about the similar thing and trying to map out the things and then going to that person saying that, hey, I care about this thing. I have these notes. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, because when you care about that relationship, you can have notes. I am a big believer in taking notes and journaling many, many times. And then because when we are charged about something, when we are triggered, there's a mask in front of the eyes and when we cannot see the reality as is. So getting to a neutral place, getting to the zero point or to the bliss point, then we can have a neutral conversation or a response to someone you know, I love that you say that because you probably have found this out in your own experience, but speaking from a place that's emotional and triggered, it's probably not going to go well. So doing the inner work until we can get to a point of inner peace or neutrality or, you know, stability, grounded, we feel grounded again inside, then we're going to have chances are much higher of having a productive conversation. Right. And in a relationship setting, it's good. Yeah. For people who are listening, who say, well, I'm not there. I, I just say things in anger or I get frustrated. You know, that's, that happens. That's a stage along the path. And that's an invitation to bring more awareness and consciousness to the to your life in general, to do more practices. You know, it's, it's, I could tell you as someone who used to be on a hair trigger about things, it's possible to slow it down enough so that that can change. So I want to um, kind of give inspiration to people for that, not to feel badly because you can't control yourself, but to see that as an opportunity to learn how to work with that moment and be, be compassionate, kind to yourself and not shaming of yourself because that will, will help in the long run. Yeah, and no stage of evolution is good or bad. We will react. It doesn't matter how many practices we have under our 
but we will react and awareness is the key and course correcting having an awareness and consciousness yeah we messed up how can we try to make it better and in the situation where there is another party involved we can't just leave and go for days and weeks and keep processing we it's our responsibility to let another person know that we need time we need these these hours and we will come back and we can win and communication the the healthy communication is the key that's so beautiful and i i counsel people around that just just exactly what you said like i need a moment i need i might need more than a moment i need to go off and you know i'm triggered and i want to go off and take care of myself and then i'll be back that's so important because a lot of people have a, a sense of abandonment especially when things get very tricky so to to take your time absolutely and to say and i will be back i promise and then come back and we'll honor that yes and that is a part of secure attachment container <laughs> that is right yeah so what i'm curious dr gil what what else is coming up in your consciousness right now what else would you like to more to gear this conversation towards i'm also very interested in i don't know how to say it living fully like to really honor our passions and our dreams and and they could look mm, small i want to say it doesn't have to be like you're supposed to go out and change the world but it could be in you know what's in your heart about how you want to raise your children and when you're raising children it comes down to many many moments so to really being conscious in fact at the group this morning i was just talking about this like in this moment how do you want your life to be like how do you want to show up in this moment and there's always a choice you know we can show up as a triggered in a triggered way emotional limited holding ourselves back being defensive or we can take a breath just which is it can be pressing a reset and say okay from the deepest place in me from my whole heart from the most important wisdom that i have like what what is the way that i want to show up in this moment and i feel that that's a guiding light in a way that's a it it's a we were talking about course correct come back on track it's it's a it's a beautiful contemplation like how do i want to show up in any moment because we can blame as you said or you know just stay in our triggering and things get difficult there's always the option of stopping reassessing and seeing what's really important in the deepest part of our being and this is a beautiful question how do i want to show up what is my intention in this present moment and it's okay sometimes not to show up it's okay not to be intentional that's the in this the embracing of the whole human range of emotions and when we don't show up okay but next time what can we do to show up because what happens is at least in my case in my life and then it becomes a charge okay how do i want to show up every single time that doesn't work and if i don't show up and it's a self and it you know self judgment so inner critique you know okay i'm i'm not showing up so i think having that compassion when we don't show up and course correcting to how can we yeah. show up it's like the navigating all this 
Google map within our mind and give within our heart. I just made this up. <laughs> so when when we go to your website, the the header image has open it says open to everything beyond your life stories and infinite fulfillment. And I thought I would ask you about that. For some reason last last in our last conversation, I didn't notice that. So open to everything beyond your life stories and infinite fulfillment i love these i think this could be the title of the podcast episode so could you open to everything i love this because everything is just everything good and the bad and the sad and the disappointment so could you elaborate on these three phrases open to everything beyond your life stories and infinite fulfillment yes yeah, so i'll do them one at a time yes it's okay Okay, open to everything is really an invitation to reflect on how we close. You know, how do we close down? Because this gets to feelings and maybe to our relationships with other people. We avoid and shut down and push away. So we're we're if we're in our conditioning and our fear, we're not going to be open to everything. So in our natural state, which is pure openness beyond all stories. I'll get to that in a second. It's, it's, the, it's who we are, the aliveness of who we are that's undefined by anything the mind can tell us about ourselves. So there's that sense of openness and freedom and not knowing. So open to everything means not being in resistance to anything. Yes. And when we're in resistance, resistance says no. No, I don't like this. No, I don't want it this way. No, I want that to change or I want myself to change or I don't like myself the way I am. Th- these are examples of resistance. And in our natural state, there's no resistance. There's just this open field of awareness. It's formless. It's a it's a life vibration. It's like the aliveness that's natural to who we are. There's no resistance to anything. Any everything is included. Like anything can arise in this field. Any uh, feeling, any event, any reaction, anything. And and it's just ah this. Oh this. Oh it's this. Yes it's this. And that's what consciousness does. Consciousness as our true nature. And so that it's a it's an invitation into that openness, that pure openness that has no resistance to anything. As, as you speak to that, open to everything, a part of me says that if I'm open to everything, am I just too woo-woo? Then how do we find that balance of having a structure and open to everything? Yeah. So openness to everything means accepting of everything. But in that, discernment can arise. So as a life, as a human with your life path, you can say, I want to go in this direction and not that direction. And you do that not from your head, but you can, you feel moved like, oh, I feel moved for this. And I just get a no when I look at that choice. It's just, it's just listening. It's an inner listening. So it's, so it's openness to everything, but that doesn't mean you have to do everything. And it certainly doesn't mean you have to, you know, put up with stuff that's not okay. 
you know, within that openness of acceptance, there can be an intelligent discernment or choosing that fits the alignment with with our life path, aligning ourselves with the flow of life. Mm, love that distinction. So what you're saying is that open to everything is like surrender, and surrender is not giving your power away, is not it's not giving your power away and it's it's not a weakness it's a strength to be able to accept whatever life force is bringing to us yeah. and then we can choose to do whatever we want to do with that rather than resisting what is happening in this present moment so so when we resist instead of using our energy into resisting we can use our energy into creating new possibilities to move forward that's so beautiful. You know, an example would be you get a, a diagnosis of some kind that you don't like, you know, you don't want, you know, it's going to have implications for you, a medical diagnosis. And, you know, the resistance is, and there's nothing wrong with resistance when there's a shock of getting a diagnosis, you know, can this be, is this actually happening? Not me, you know, and then there's a process of acceptance that comes like, yes, this, this is the situation right now. And that, like, just like you're saying, it frees up energy for possibilities about how to show up with it, how to relate to it, what it might bring to you. So that would be an example of, of the acceptance around that. Yeah. And another recent example that I can give is regarding my retreat, you know, it's coming up and we have 15 participants to enroll and I have gotten two participants to say yes. We still have 13 people to say yes. But I know, whatever the outcome may be, but I know deep down in my bones that I played it all. I've given all that I could to create this project. There's a deeper meaning at the, whatever the outcome may look like. But in this process of getting to the outcome, that matters. It didn't come naturally. I had to practice this every day i still practice that to come to peace with whatever happens with the outcome to stay in that path <laughs> going back to our beginning the there is no path the path is unfolding as famous children says it's like i'm going to paraphrase yours you're you're riding the train and you you when you're riding the train you're facing backwards a train is going train is going to the north and you're facing south you you can't see where the train is going you can only see where the path has unfolded that's really hard to practice and there is a deeper meaning in that so yeah, open to absolutely. everything accepting and surrendering and beyond life stories what is that it's it's an invitation into recognizing the stories in our minds that we somehow create and or have been inserted in us they're habitual that are limiting and who are we beyond any stories like beyond history if, if we delete history if we delete time if we delete the capacity to think if we are pure in our openness, like what 
what is the aliveness of who we are? Mm. When you Beyond s- our story. When you said deleting history, this thought came to mind. Whenever a computer gets to slow down, we, we delete the browser cache or browser history to create more space. So we have to delete the delete the stories or delete the history which is not serving so that we can create more space. Yeah. I want to share with you what, what I'm, what's going on for me right now, which is I think you are going to provide an awesome retreat because you have a lot of wisdom and knowledge and your mind is creative around these things. And I, I feel you. you as someone who has a great capacity to help people. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. I appreciate it. I receive your gesture. So beyond life stories, anything else you want to add on that segment? Uh, yeah, just a question, like for anybody listening, if if you feel somehow limited or unhappy in your life, take a look at what stories you're telling yourself about yourself, about yourself, about other people, about the world. Like we have stories, people aren't safe or, you know, I'm never going to get the things I want or, you know, we have these limiting stories and they have an effect. If you go around with a story, I'm never going to get what I want you're probably never going to get what you want. But if you take away the story, then that opens you to possibility. Yeah, my, my, my recent belief that I worked on, mm-hmm. that I can achieve things by doing less. I don't have to grind. I don't have to do hard work all the time to, to get success. Mm-hmm. Success can be attained by doing less. And success, the definition of success is very relative. It changes. It is different for every person. So how do you define success for yourself? Success. I was just thinking about that the other day. I don't think I define it. I, you know, I mean, conventional ways are financial success or number of followers or, you know, I, I don't focus on that. I focus on how my happiness, being happy, what makes me happy, how I feel moved, listening a deep, like when I live my life, it's a deep inner listening about how I feel called or what I feel called to do. And sometimes it doesn't even make sense, but I do it anyway, because I learned to trust that inner voice. I don't, it could be a stage in my life. I mean, I'm, you know, in the phase of life where people think about retirement. So I, I don't have as much ambition as I used to have when I was younger. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't, I think happiness is more important than success. I think living a life of happiness is very ambitious, more than getting more money in the bank. This is a more this is more courageous path to listen to life, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. More harder path to listen to life, to surrender, to accept, to to go beyond life stories and to live fully. And in and and believe that there is infinite fulfillment <laughs> it became like a poetry and even go beyond the belief of it to live that like wow is that possible for me it's possible it's your nature to be open to everything which brings in all possibilities there, there's a quote i love i'm not going to remember it exactly it's by robert wolf but it's something about being poised in all directions and i love that feeling of like i i, I picture it on a mountaintop and just like 
everything is here. Anything could happen, and I'm receptive to it. I'm open to it. Infinite fulfillment, and and it's beyond our mind. So if we create, you know, an idea for you know whatever it is that we want to do, to not get so stuck in the idea, and as you were saying before, attached to the outcomes of it, but just to be to be so open to what might come because it what what's possible is way beyond what our minds can come up with. When you were saying I just Googled very fast, like because some I was like Wayne Dyer used to say, spiritual guru, he was my favorite spiritual teacher. His quote was open to everything and attached to nothing. <laughs> open okay. to everything yeah. and attached to nothing. When you said open to everything, I was like some somebody someone said that. Someone said something open to everything and attached to nothing. Very simple, but so hard to practice on a daily basis. Right. I, I've done practices around that. Like I've, I was just talking to a friend about this yesterday. I've just looked around my house and what if this isn't here? What if this isn't here? What if this is taken away? What if this is destroyed? And then my my body, and I, I've done these practices many, many times over the years. You know, what if I'm in that sit, you know, I hear something on the news. What if that were me? What, you know, and I I feel into, you know, what if I'm on a plane that's going down? And I I just it it brings freedom to my life to contemplate being in all those situations and contemplating to the point where I can say, yes, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good with whatever happens. I can roll with that. And, and that, and I've, I've done that about so many different things and it might sound morbid, but for me, it, it was helpful and is helpful. And it's just, it just bring, brought me a tremendous amount of freedom. It is helpful. And we want to feel into the happiness. We want to feel into the joy state. When, what are you saying is feeling into the pain state. And pain and the joy, they have highest frequencies. If we don't allow ourselves to feel the pain, how can we feel the heck out of joy and love? We, we get to feel pain and sadness to sit with yeah. that. And then we can also feel more higher vibrational states or frequencies of love and joy. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't put it together that kind of in that structure, but I know that for myself, like the capacity for joy is so beyond. Sometimes it just comes in this huge way. And, and I feel very grateful when that happens. Awesome. It's been a great conversation with you, Dr. Gill. Anything else you think we should explore or what do you feel? What I, I think I, what I want to say is to inspire people to keep going. You know, it's, uh, if I'm, I'm really getting a sense of who you are from this conversation, which, which, and I'm imagining what your listeners are like, if they're attracted to the things that you're offering and um, just to keep going, to keep um, open to possibilities, opening to everything. And there might be times when, and I think this happens in life when it feels like, like it's a fallow field, like there's nothing happening. Like it's just a downtime or maybe you're going through a hard time and, you know, maybe there's depression or whatever. And even in those dark times, there are seeds being planted. You may not be aware of it, but 
that this life just flows. Life wants to express itself. Life wants to live. And to just know that there are comings and goings and highs and lows, and that's just part of the whole deal. And and having a path like we're talking about here today can be a tremendous support along the way. And we signed this deal when our soul came in this body. Isn't it true? I went to Colorado recently at an awake festival. Someone said that our soul is so courageous to to come into this human form. Our soul didn't have to come into this human form. So we signed up for this deal. We had an agreement with the soul to go through this experience. And we he must blame. We 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 feel why it is happening to us and it is okay to feel everything, open to everything and Practice not attached to anything, which is hard. <laughs> and also get support. You know, be around your tribe. Find like-minded people, whether it's a professional, if you need professional help, a group, friendships, whatever it looks like, it doesn't matter. But we we need we need to help each other along this path. I don't think anybody can do it alone. I know I can't and couldn't. So to have, you know, I mean, a podcast in your listeners, that's the beginning of a community and, you know, wanting to do a retreat and finding groups and just, you know, being a little bit more vulnerable in the conversation with the person at the cafe. And maybe there's a friendship there. I'm surprised all the time at how deep random conversations can go. So when you're available for that, so really like letting yourself connect with people because people long, whatever you long for, everybody else longs for that as well. Yes. If if any of our listeners is wanting to be part of your group or wanting to do some work with you, where, what is the right way to connect with you? Where can they find you online? Well, my website, gailbrenner.com. And there's a, 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 a tab for events so I have a weekly group and occasional courses. I'm actually not sure when this is going to be broadcast, but I have something coming up in November, starting on the 4th, a three-session course, and all of the information for that is on my website. And everyone is always welcome. There's no exclusion in the things that I offer. And there's also a tab on the menu that says work with me, and you'll take a, you can take a look there. I always have on there that I'm not accepting anyone new, but people who write to me, we can talk about it. So, so do you, do you get do you get a do you give an extra pass to the Nishangar podcast listeners? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I might. <laughs> cool. I will, as always, I will put all the links in the show notes, and people can find you at your website, gilbina.com. And, and my books are on um, Amazon. Yes. And I have a ton of content on my website. I have lots of articles. I send out an article every Friday if you sign up for my email list. Lots of videos on my site. So there, there's a lot of content. People are awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gail, on this show. And uh, before we sign up, I want to say live fully, <laughs> open to everything beyond your life stories and have infinite abundance and fulfillment. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. That's a great way to end. Thank you. I've enjoyed this so much. Appreciate it.